Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. You may be seated. But at first, at first to the disciples, it looks like a catastrophe. See, they had thought that they were living inside of a fairy tale. Here was Jesus, and they believed him to be the promised Messiah, the one that had been promised from long before. Now among them, they had thought that he was the one who was going to usher in the reign and rule of God. They had seen signs of it, indications of it. Indeed, he himself had been proclaiming it. But now, he's dead. And a dead Messiah is no good Messiah at all. The fairy tale looked to be over. It was no happy ending. Or was it? So early in the morning, Mary, her friend Mary, probably a couple other Marys were in there as well, <laughs> along with some of the other women, go to the tomb. Why are they going to the tomb? To celebrate that Jesus has risen from the dead? No, because they believe that he is still dead. They are going to prepare his body, to take care of him. But they are in for a surprise. When they get there, they find that the, the tomb is already open. The stone has been rolled away, and boom! There's two men there in dazzling apparel. We know from the other gospel writers that these are angels, okay? The angels are there, and I love the response of the angels. The angels see the women coming, and what do they say? Hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's almost like they themselves are so excited about the whole thing that they're, you know, kind of elbowing each other. Hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And the women are like, I don't know. Why don't you tell me? Right? And they say, he has risen. He's not here. And they're like, what? Don't you remember? He told this. He kind of said it a number of times. And they're like, okay, do you remember that Mary? Mary, I'm not sure. Do you remember that Mary? Mary, I don't know. Maybe he said something about that. Well, they run away from the tomb, and they go and they find the other apostles. And they announce to the apostles, guys, we just saw a couple of angels, and they said Jesus is risen, that he's not here. His, his body wasn't in the grave anymore. He's alive. And the disciples, of course, they start throwing a party, and they're saying, oh, this is awesome. Just like he promised, you believed it. I believed it. You believed it, right, 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 right? No. <laughs> Instead, it's more like, it reminds me of green eggs and ham. You know, I could not, I would not eat green eggs and ham. They could not, they would not believe. Doubting Thomas sometimes gets a tough rap, but how about all of the disciples right here? They're not believing. Even though Jesus had predicted this multiple times, he told them, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be crucified and die. And on the third day, I will rise. He told them that again and again and again, drilling it into their ears. But it's like they just couldn't hear it. For whatever reason, they don't believe. Why is that? Even though Jesus had promised. Before we answer that question, I want to just make a point here and kind of underline something because sometimes in our day, people who are skeptical of Christianity and the message of the gospel, they'll cast the early disciples in a certain light. They'll say, well, those guys were just some backwards benighted bumpkins. Say that five times fast, right? 
these backwards benighted bumpkins, and they are, you know, they're unenlightened, and they didn't have modern science like we do. We know today that dead people stay dead. But those guys back there, you know, they, they would believe just about anything. There's a, a historian, a theologian, who wrote like an 800-page phone book-sized book on the resurrection. And he makes this point. He says in this book, you know, people didn't need Petri dishes to know back then that people didn't rise from the dead, okay? Resurrection wasn't on their radar. These aren't just some credulous, gullible people. They weren't expecting this at all, even though Jesus had promised it to them again and again. Why not? A few years ago, a, a movie came out. Um, some of you probably saw Blindside. Remember this one? Based on a, a true story and a, a book by the same name. It told the story of this guy, Michael Orr. And Michael Orr was like a football prodigy. But he wasn't, he wasn't a quarterback. He wasn't a running back or receiver. He was an offensive lineman. Okay? Michael Orr was like six foot eight, 300 something pounds. But he didn't even realize that he had these gifts. He didn't know that he was good for anything, that he had any value at all because he had grown up his entire life living on the streets. And he gets into his teenage years and he'll sleep anywhere he can find a spot. He'll, he'll sleep on friends' couches. He'll sleep out underneath bridges. He never knows where his next meal is coming from. He wears the same ill-fitting clothes each and every day. But then this family, it's a true story, this family, the Tui family, takes him in to their home, makes him like one of their own children. You know, they've got two little kids and then one giant you know, man, man-child. And now Michael Orr has experienced something he's never known before. He's got not just a, a bed, but he's got a king bed all to himself, which he almost fits in. <laughs> they get him clothes that do fit him. And as far as food goes, well, his dad, Sean, actually owns a whole series of uh, franchises of fast food restaurants. So he's got KFC, he's got Taco Bell. So Michael can have all the food that he wants for free, which when you're 6'8", 300 pounds, is really good news, actually. But that's also why the mom, Leanne, was really surprised when she would be going around the house, she'd be cleaning the house, and she kept finding things. Like underneath the couch cushions, she found some Mexican pizzas. And in the closet, there were some gorditas. Incidentally, Taco Bell does not keep real well. Just pro tip there for you. And so she's looking around, she's finding these things. She knows who did it, who did it, right? And so she goes to Michael and she's like, Michael, why are you hiding all of this Taco Bell around the house? It stinks to high heavens. Why are you hoarding this? She's furious with him. Why would you do this? Don't you realize you can have all the free Taco Bell you want whenever you want it? And he's just totally taken aback by her and even by the question, like, he can't even understand it. But then the author of the book, a guy named Michael Lewis, he, he comments about this. He says, for Michael, it was just habit. See, he couldn't believe that these free things would remain free. It seemed too good to be true. Too good to be true. That's something we say, isn't it? We have this idea that if something is really good, well, 
you should just wait for the other shoe to drop. Make sure you check the fine print because sooner or later it's going to come back around to get you. We have this idea, don't we? We even have it in a law, a so-called law. Murphy's Law, you guys heard of that before? Murphy's Law that if anything bad can happen, it will happen. Like rain on your wedding day or, um, okay, I won't say it. <laughs> Murphy's Law, you know it. We have this sense we are so conditioned to catastrophe that that becomes like our default mode. We don't know it being any other way. Sooner or later, the other shoe is going to drop. Sooner or later, it's going to come back to catch up to you. Sooner or later, catastrophe is going to be the order of the day. It's just, it's just too good to be true otherwise. We know that. We believe that. And I submit to you that something like that is going on in the disciples' minds. And that this is why they want to say to the women, yeah, it was a fairy tale, all right. We shouldn't have believed it. He couldn't possibly actually be risen from the dead. It's too good to be true. And yet all of us, everybody, we still harbor that hope, don't we? Maybe it's not too good to be true. Maybe death isn't the end. Maybe this life isn't all there is. You guys know Steve Jobs, the creator of, of Apple? How many of you guys have an Apple device? Like every single one of us. You don't want to admit it. You know you do. Uh, Steve Jobs, when he first started making Apple computers and things, he didn't want to put an on-off switch onto the devices. And everybody would push back on it. His, his team would push back on it. Why didn't you want an on-off device? Eventually, he would put it on the computers. But on the iPods, you remember the iPods, or if you still have one, they don't have an on-off switch. It kind of goes to sleep, but there isn't an on-off switch. And in uh, the biography of Steve Jobs, the biographer asks him about this. Why isn't there an on-off switch on your devices? Why didn't you want that? And he says, you know, I'm kind of 50-50 on God. But I've always had this sense that this life isn't all there is. And he says, I just have a hard time believing that when we die, it's just click off. And so I always kind of resisted putting an on-off switch on my devices. We harbor this hope. Even those who say, oh, I, I don't believe, I couldn't believe, I'm a scientific person, I don't believe those fairy tales. Well, guess what? Today is the day when what you and I wouldn't dare to ever hope to be true in ourselves actually is the case. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Making sure you're still awake. It's all good. He is risen indeed. Today is the day when what we might have hoped in our bones or had some intuition or inkling in our heart actually comes to pass. When we have a historical verification of our existential intuition that this life can't be all that it is. There has to be more. There is more. Because Jesus came out of that tomb, and not just as some beaten up, broken man, but in resurrected, glorified flesh. That catastrophe gets reversed. And that's kind of an ugly phrase, a reverse catastrophe. That doesn't sound quite right. It, it kind of goes to show how poor our language is. Reverse catastrophe, that's not quite right. Well, actually, there is a word. There is a word. It had to be coined. It had to be made up by a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien. Some of you guys know J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm a big fan. The guy that wrote The Lord of the Rings. 
And he coined this word, eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe. It's on the, the front of your worship folders to see how it's spelled. Catastrophe with E-U on the front of it, which is a prefix that means good. You think, well, what would a good catastrophe be? Well, we all know what a catastrophe is. It's when there's a sudden, awful turn of events, when everything goes wrong. But Tolkien says a eucatastrophe is when there is a sudden, joyous turn of events. When in an unexpected, glorious way, everything suddenly fits. And Tolkien says that the resurrection is the eucatastrophe to end all eucatastrophes. That the resurrection of Jesus, that it's like a sunrise over history that suddenly makes all of the drab grays of time and circumstance into glorious gold. Now it has cast this new light on everything because we can see it through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus. Even in this life, when things seem to go wrong, when they seem to fall apart, when death continues to happen, when catastrophes go unabated, we know that in the middle of history and finally at the end of time, there is a you catastrophe. A sudden, joyous turn of events when God turns all things right again. Easter is the eucatastrophe when God fixes what is broken. And so maybe we need to revisit, actually. We need to revisit what the, the apostles say, what they think. Well, this is just some idle tale. This is just a fairy tale. Perhaps they were closer than they realized. Maybe... Maybe it's not so much that the gospel is like fairy tales, but that fairy tales are like the gospel. See, because here we have a message of the wicked ruler, Satan, being deposed once and for all. Here we have a message of, of wicked, you know, uh, sinnerly beasts being turned into beautiful saints. Here we have a message of a curse being reversed, of an everlasting winter finally coming to an end, which incidentally for us in northern Michigan is very good news. <laughs> we have a message of death being defeated once and for all. It's not so much that the gospel is like a fairy tale. It's that fairy tales are like the gospel. Can I get an amen? amen. This is what is true now in Christ, that he has reversed the curse, that he has defeated death, and that he gives this victory to you and to me. But now somebody's going to say to me, well, see, pastor, it's just what I told you. Yeah, it is a fairy tale. You Christians just believe in your pie-in-the-sky kind of ideas. You want to believe in your fairy tales rather than in the real world. To which I have two things to say, a statement and a story. The statement is this. Look, if as Christians we just believed, well, everything is hunky-dory and it's all kittens and snowflakes all of life, and it's just all Easter all the time, then I would say... I don't want that religion either. But you can only have a you catastrophe on the far side of an actual catastrophe. You can only have Easter on the far side of Good Friday. That was the worst catastrophe that ever could have happened. God died. But now that catastrophe has been reversed. 
And we as Christians, we don't just believe in some happy, clappy, everything is good all the time. No, we believe in something much deeper, much more profound. That God has gone right down to the root of the problem and uprooted it once and for all. That's the first thing that I would say. Let me also tell you a story. Soviet Russia was about as brute, real world as you could get, even while they were living in a kind of utopia fantasy world and propagating that. And the communist leaders, they would do something from time to time. They would send out the commissars into the the outlying villages, into the the rural villages, places like Arcadia in, in the Soviet Union. And they would do a little bit of indoctrination in people into what they called scientific atheism. They would call all the people out of their homes and line them up and force them, submit them to an hour-long lecture on the illusions of religion. So this happens one time. They call all the people out and they even call the the Orthodox priest out from the church. All y'all, come on, line up. They're also from Texas, apparently. All you guys, line up. For an hour long, hectoring and haranguing about the illusions of religion, let us tell you about the real world, blah, blah, blah. Well, so at the end of this lecture, the commissar, he decides he's going to do a very generous gesture. He says to the priest, all right, priest, I'll give you five minutes for a rebuttal. And the priest steps out from the line and he says, I don't need five minutes. And he turns around and he faces all the villagers, all of his parishioners. And he says to them three little words. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. That is all the verification that we need. That is the real world. People want to tell you sometimes, no, 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 the real world is buying and selling. It's the GDP and it's nations and wars and politics and all this stuff. That's the real world. But you Christians on your Sunday morning, especially on Easter, you're lapsing into the fairy tale world. What if I told you this is the real world? And all of those other things are distractions that keep us from thinking about the real, most real thing of all, death. I take it back. The most real thing of all, resurrection. See, because Jesus has the victory. He has that victory indeed. A couple more things. I'm almost done, I promise. It's Easter, y'all. It's Easter. Some of you are still going to walk out and say, you know what? Nope, I'm not convinced. I just want to go on believing that I'm basically a cockroach and life doesn't matter and then I die. And you know, if you want to believe that, I'm not going to stop you. I can't stop you. If all you want is nothing, I can give you nothing with change. But if you're here today and you have in your heart even just some little seed of faith, some inkling that this might be true, then I have good news for you. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And for just a little while longer, death is going to continue. Despair will reign. Catastrophes will happen. There will be wars and rumors of wars. But in the midst of that reign and rule of death, 
of the seeming victory of Satan and the grave, know this, that Christ has come, that the tomb is empty, that he has the victory. The eucatastrophe to end all catastrophes has already happened, and a day is coming. It could be today, y'all, when Jesus is going to return to set it all right once and for all, raising our bodies from the dead transforming you, restoring you. And on that day, friends, it will be happily ever after. And that's no fairy tale. Amen.